Are you among the millions of people around the world that fears speaking in public or even just making your case in a smaller presentation? If so, today's podcast episode is for you. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, and this is the Trinity University Learning Together podcast series. Each month, this podcast features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who establish themselves as experts in their fields. It's all part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni. Today, I'm talking to class of 1981 alum David Odie about his newest book, which is called The Speaker's Quick Guide to Presenting with Confidence, Overcome Self-Doubt, and Embrace the Power of Your Message. I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation, not only tips about how to present yourself better, but also some insight into why we fear public speaking. After you're done listening, head to confidencespeakingbook.com to learn more. Well, David Odie, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us here for the Trinity University Learning Together podcast today. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I understand that in your previous career, you were doing something kind of in my field, right, as a broadcast engineer. What led you to move from that and uh, go into public speaking and uh, helping others? Well, uh, that was an interesting career arc. I had been, uh, see, I graduated from Trinity with a bachelor's that was a double major in radio, TV, film, and physics, thinking I was interested in making science-themed TV shows. What happened instead was that I got involved in the technical side of television. So I was in broadcast engineering for about 25 years. I was chief engineer of KLRU-TV in Austin for a while. And then I got involved in doing the microwave radio infrastructure that makes live TV news and sports coverage possible. Mm-hmm. And there was a new digital technology being rolled out um, that everybody was really nervous about. So it was decided there needed to be a, a training program to support the rollout of this technology. And because of the work I'd been doing, I was recruited as the subject matter expert on that training. And then the guy who recruited me, who was the training expert, ended up leaving. <laughs> and I got thrust into the position of not just being the technical, the subject matter expert, but actually running the program, which uh, had some false starts and was quite a learning experience for me. And 33 months later, after we had trained more than 10,000 people throughout the TV news industry, I uh, decided I was kind of done with television. It would have been a good run. And I was done with it. And, but this training, you know, this taking people who were fearful of something new and helping them embrace it and see how it could make their lives better. That really excited me. So I changed careers and for about a decade now, I've been self-employed as a public speaker and trainer and speaking coach. So there are two things going on here, I think, with public speaking that a lot of people have trouble with. And one is just simply the fear of getting up and doing public speaking, right, of being in front of that audience, whether it's uh, large or small. And then there's also what you just mentioned, uh, the ability to communicate effectively and get your message across. Are those uh, pretty much the two uh, things that you're working on? I think you've summed it up really well. Those, those are the, the two main thrusts of my development as a speaker um, and, as the, and in the work that I do as a speaking coach, the, which, which sort of leads me to the genesis of this particular book. It's my third book in my series that I call The Speaker's Quick Guide. These are short books intended to be something you can get through in an hour. I, when I decided to write a book, I thought, well, what do people come to me for? And the first thing I thought of was people come to me for help telling their stories. 
So that was the theme of the first book, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Telling Better Stories. Mm -hmm. But the thing I kept coming back to was there were people who come to me and, and would say either one of two things, either I don't mind getting up in front of an audience to speak, but I worry that I'm not coming across as well as I would like to. And so these tend to be people who are too focused on how they come across. They're focused on themselves and not focused on what their audience needs. So that's one of the things that I address in the book. And then the other thing that people would come to me for would be to say, who am I to speak? <laughs> who, am I, who am I to think that my story is something that could actually make a difference and improve someone else's life? And, and so that's another thrust of the coaching that I do and of this particular book, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Presenting with Confidence, because both of those things, understanding what your audience needs from you and understanding that your story is unique and yet has universal themes that other people can benefit from, these are, are really the, the, the two thrusts that, the two threads that come together in this particular book. I think that uh, there's another parallel between public radio and what I do and uh, what you're doing now as well in that uh, you just mentioned it. You, you're, you think of the audience and you think of serving the audience. In, in the case of radio, it, uh, we might characterize it as, as considering what the, the audience's wants and needs are before you program and in public speaking, is it like anticipating the uh, questions or the uh, things that people need answers to and then using your speech, your presentation to help the audience to answer those questions? Oh, that's exactly right. I think the best speakers know how to ask in their own mind the questions that are running through the minds of their listeners. I think that's really the key. If you start with a, a premise to a particular presentation, um, very often, for example, my premise might be every scientist and engineer in this room can learn to give presentations that people will accept, remember, and take action on. That's what I call the, the art of connection, accept, remember, take action. So that might be my premise. And then as soon as I identify that premise in my own mind, then I have to start asking the questions that audience members will be asking. And, the, and in their minds, they'll be thinking, well, aren't my presentations good enough already? I have lots of great information in my presentations. And um, it, it's when you can start imagining what your audience is asking, what they need to know from you, that you can be more audience-focused. And I think that's, that's the key. You, you've got to be audience-focused. You've got to get, give that audience a chance to connect, not with your information, but with you as the trusted expert who's providing it. And part of connecting with the audience and doing so verbally is, and gosh, here comes another parallel to, to public radio, right? It's got to sound good out loud, and you have to write <laughs> for the ear. Can you explain a little bit about how you see writing for the ear? <laughs> writing for the ear. You know, I, I'm thinking about making that the subject of my next book, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> writing for the ear. Yes, because one of the things I so often coach people to do if you're preparing a speech, is to write it out. Because when you write it, then you know how many words you're going to have because there's that little number right there in the bottom corner of your screen. Mm -hmm. And at 125 to 150 words per minute, you can do the math and figure out how long you're going to speak for. And you can wordsmith the transitions and all that. But the big problem people have is that without a lot of practice, it's hard to write out a speech in your speaking voice. Yeah. 
And, and when you deliver a speech that's been written for the eye and not for the ear, your audience knows it. So I, I've, I've come up with a simple hack <laughs> that I tell people they should try all the time, especially for a very technical, a very information-centric uh, type of presentation. I say, here's what you need to create your first draft. You need a table, two chairs, two mugs of coffee or tea, a friend, and a recording device. Mm-hmm. And, and you sit down with your notes and you talk through what you want your friend it needs to be someone who's not already versed in your, in your work, what you want that friend to know about your work. And you record that and pay someone else to transcribe it so you're not trying to edit it as you go. And that's your first draft. And that's how you make something conversational. Because we don't often write in a conversational style. Hello, this is Danny Anderson president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to my conversation with David Odie. What are some of the key ways that you make something conversational, though? Well, there's two primary ways. One is to watch your vocabulary Mm -hmm. because our Spoken vocabulary is much more limited than our written vocabulary. And when you start using words in a speech that you wouldn't use if you were sitting across the table from me talking to me, I tune out. Because I think you're going into what we call speaker man mode. Yeah. Instead of being present. And the second thing is to keep your sentences short and simple. The reader may be able to look at a sentence and mentally unfold the prepositional phrases and conditional clauses, and conjunctions, and all of that, because they can always go back to the beginning if they get lost in a convoluted sentence. The listener has no such ability to do that. You have to be able to keep your listener with you all the way through, and that means using simple sentences and pauses, because the pauses are where your listener catches up with you. I love the idea of using pauses and simple sentences because uh, I think some of the best um, uh, radio hosts do that as well. Um, Regardless of what one might think of the politics of a lot of talk radio hosts, I think that a lot of them have mastered that idea of using the pauses in their uh, radio programs when they're delivering monologues on the air. And you think, oh, dead air on the radio, that's not great. But They use those pauses to dramatic effect. And that's when people who are listening can really absorb that information that they've just gotten. You're right. You're right. And, you know, I was in radio, too. Um, I worked at at KRTU there on the Trinity campus. Um, And I remember being told, no dead air, no dead air. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, when you're in the front of a room... Letting people see you think about something and giving them time to think 
about something you've said or particularly a question you've asked is really important because that's when people catch up and, and mentally say, okay, I got that. I'm ready to go on. Well, your book, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Presenting with Confidence, is it's not just about being in front of a large audience, though, is it? There are tips and things that you can do when you're dealing with smaller audiences or perhaps even one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you're asking your boss for a raise or something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Regardless of the size of your audience, you always have to be focused on what the audience needs to get out of that presentation or that conversation. You know, you have to ask the question, why are these people or why is this person here to hear me? And what do they need from me? So I don't use the example of going to your boss for a raise, but you brought that up and it's a good one. What does your boss need if you're going to ask for a raise? Mm -hmm. If you don't go in with your boss's needs in mind, you're likely to be disappointed. You know, the boss needs to know that you're committed to the job, that you're committed to growing in the job, and that you are aware of your value to the organization. And sometimes you may need to remind your boss of your value to the organization. <laughs> that's, but that's an excellent example. If you don't go with your, with your listeners needs in mind, you're, you're not going to come out with what you need. I like to say, uh, your information goes nowhere unless you meet the needs of your audience. What's the single most important tip or lesson that you think somebody could glean from your new book? The single most important tip or lesson, I would say, is be focused on what you're doing for your audience. You know, there's a tool that I've actually introduced and in, I use it in in all of my coaching, and I think it's mentioned in every book I've written of the three. <laughs> um, it's, called the, it's called Knowing Your Specific Purpose, which is not a general purpose like to inform or to educate or to entertain or to persuade, but rather the answer to this question, what do I want my listeners to think, do, or feel differently when I'm done? You see, when you start focusing on what difference you're going to make to them, that forces you to think about what their needs are forces you to be audience-centric instead of being information-centric. Too many people think that they're there to serve their information and they forget that they're there to serve their audience. So the most important thing, single most important thing I think people can take from this book is tools for being audience-focused. There's other tools in there besides that one, but the specific purpose is the starting point for it. Nowadays also we have lots of um, well, we knock on wood, hope that we won't be having to do quite as many virtual presentations or, uh, or com have conversations like this in the future that we'll be able to get together more frequently because I truly believe in-person um, is a, an ideal situation for things like this. But uh, we have developed new ways to communicate online over the course of the past year and a half during the coronavirus pandemic. How can your book or and uh, what tips do you have might have for people in giving virtual presentations like uh, online? You know, that was something that developed over the course of the time that I was working on this book. And so I decided as I neared the end of writing the book that I, I couldn't be silent on that. You have to name the, the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room was 
you know, we're having to get in front of virtual audiences. We're having to speak to people we can't see in many cases. Yeah. Or at least people that we're not getting the same kind of feedback from. So I included an appendix called Presenting with Confidence to a Virtual Audience. And so what I did in that section of the book was I pretty much went back through each chapter and said, here's how you might apply the concepts of this chapter specifically to presenting to a virtual audience. Um, for example, there's a, a chapter in, in this book on practical tips for dealing with, with nervousness, with physical ex, uh, expressions of being nervous. And so I included in here some very practical tips for being more effective in giving a, a virtual presentation. For example, so many times you get on Zoom and, and, and you're looking at someone's face and what are you looking at? You're looking up their nose. <laughs> it's not that hard to get your camera up to eye level because that's where people are more comfortable seeing you. Uh, and, and tips like checking your lighting and your audio, things that won't ensure that you're giving a high-quality presentation, but if they're absent, people will never notice the quality of your information because they'll be too distracted by not being able to see or hear you well. Right. Again, with the idea that, I mean, the visual presentation should not be a distraction from the message at all. That's right. It should not be a distraction. And for, for too many people in a, in a virtual environment, there are things going on that are distractions. And the thing about presenting virtually is you're not in the room with your audience and they've got all kinds of distractions in the room with them before you even start. So if there is something about you being a talking head on their computer screen that is an additional distraction, you've got a, a way uphill battle <laughs> trying, to, trying to hold their attention because you don't know what, what distractions are in the room with them already. That's, that's one of the key things about presenting virtually. They've got their phones. They've got other monitors with other things going on. They may be looking at email. Things that there's social pressure not to do when they're in the room with you, even though they have their phones. If they're looking at their phones while you're talking, first of all, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And second, the people next to them can tell. And so there's this little bit of a social contract here that you don't create a distraction for other members of the audience. And none of that plays out when you're doing a webinar or a Zoom meeting or a Zoom presentation. So the, the challenges are, are quite different. They might have a child walking into the room behind them. To yes. <laughs> like the British newscaster. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Or a cat walking across. I don't have a cat, but I am at, the, at this moment, I am uh, uh, taking care of my daughter's cat while she's on a trip. <laughs> and she and my dog don't share the house very well. So I had to figure out where to put them both where I could have quiet for this interview. <laughs> well, um, am I right that you have your own podcast as well? Tell us about it. Well, it's been going for a little over a year now. I started it May of last year. It's bi-weekly. So I've got uh, 26 or 27 episodes out there. It's called The Power of Story and Science. And the target audience for this podcast really is people who give technical presentations. Whether you're a scientist, an engineer, a project manager, an IT specialist, if you give information-rich presentations... There will be something for you in this podcast. I have guests on my podcast who have been professional communicators. I have guests who are professional scientists and engineers. And the common thread really is, how do you tell the story of your work? Because if you can't tell the story of your work, your work is not going to change the world. 
People can find out more about my podcast, The Power of Story and Science, just by going to storyandscience.com. Well, cool. David Odie, author of The Speaker's Quick Guide to Presenting with Confidence. This has been a joy to talk to you and to learn more about uh, how to uh, express ourselves and get our message across. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And we did mention the book, but didn't tell people where to find it. Uh, the easy way to do that is to go to confidentspeakingbook.com. That will actually lead you to a, a page on my website, confidentspeakingbook.com. It's the speaker's quick guide to presenting with confidence. And Great. I'm confident that we've had a delightful conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu. 